Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Carrierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncarrierville.org. So when we started this series, I told you that Mark was a scribe and an interpreter for the Apostle Peter. And Mark is more than likely based in the city of Rome, and he is writing to primarily a Gentile audience. And what Mark is trying to accomplish on some level is this. He wants his readers to understand that Jesus is not a common criminal that has been executed by the Roman government. He wants them to realize who Jesus is that he is the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. As you engage this letter, as you read what I have written, I want you to understand that this is the Redeemer of God's people. This is the Savior of humanity. This is who this Nazarene carpenter is. This is Jesus. And so he wants those that are looking at this good news, that are examining this good news, that have heard about this teacher who has been resurrected from the dead. He wants them to understand. He wants us to know that we should believe in Him, that we should place our faith in Him, that we should give Him our hearts. Jesus has left the throne room of heaven. He has left God's presence and obedience to His will. He has come to earth and He has come here to establish His kingdom. And the kingdom is growing. The kingdom is expanding. And the kingdom will one day come in all His fullness. And through belief in Christ, through belief in His resurrection, you become a kingdom citizen. You become a part of this kingdom kingdom and Jesus is your king and you receive the blessings of the kingdom that that is the good news of the gospel that all that Jesus has earned through his covenant faithfulness he gives to you he makes everything right and he gives you the blessings of the father and he welcomes you into this kingdom that is who Jesus is and that is why Jesus is so great and that is what Jesus has done. And so Mark wants his audience to understand all of this. He wants them to know this. Mark wants them to believe, to place their trust in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. And so one of the ways that he does this is he sets up stories. Beginning in chapter 2, for example, these stories are accusations that the Pharisees make against Jesus. And through these stories, he's trying to explain who Jesus is in contradiction to what the Pharisees are saying. The Pharisees believe that Jesus is a liar. They believe that Jesus is a false teacher. And they believe that Jesus has committed blasphemy against God. And so we saw four accusations in chapter 2. So today in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we see the fifth accusation. But then Mark does something really interesting. He lays out the fifth accusation. But then he goes on in verses 7 through 12 to show 
how the popularity of Jesus is expanding. People are beginning to follow Him. People are beginning to ask questions about His ministry. They are beginning to see on some level who Jesus is. The Pharisees don't see. The Pharisees don't believe, Mark tells us. But the people are beginning to understand. And we also understand from the other Gospels that this is the time in the course of the ministry of Jesus where His disciples began to grow. More people began to follow Him and believe in Him and serve Him and serve others. That there were more disciples beyond the twelve apostles. Pharisees don't see. The people are beginning to see. But then Mark takes it one step further. And he says, let me tell you who really... Let me tell you about those who really know who this is. And those are the demonic spirits. And that doesn't mean that they believe in Jesus. But what's happening in here is the demonic spirits are rising up because they sense a disturbance. They realize that the kingdom of God has intruded into human history. And so they're concerned. They're anxious. They're afraid because Jesus Christ is on the scene. So they haven't, they're not placing their faith in Jesus, but they recognize who He is. The people are beginning to recognize who He is, but the Pharisees have hardened their hearts. And so that's the big picture of where we are in the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to zoom in on two things. I want us to come in closer, and I want us to look at Two things. Number one, what does it mean to have a clean heart? Number two, what does it mean to have a content heart? What does it mean to have a clean heart? What does it mean to have a content heart? So let's begin with the first thing, a clean heart. So I did not know this. I looked it up. It was very intriguing. I I read entirely too much about this. But I wanted you to know that the first open heart surgery occurred in 1967 in South Africa. That, that was amazing to me. I did not realize that it was that long ago. South Africa, 1967. But if we think about heart transformation, we know as believers that it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. That's how long God has been working on the hearts of His people. Think back to chapter 3. Sin has entered the world because of the fall of humankind. Adam and Eve have transgressed the law. And the world is now fallen. It is broken. It is in a desperate state. And so the human heart is not clean. The human heart is black. We are sinners. We are sinful humans who have rebelled against God. We are like the Pharisees. Our hearts have been hardened and they desperately need to be made new. They desperately need to be clean. And so as we look at the rest of Scripture, as we look at the rest of the Bible, we see a continual message of fallenness and rebellion. We are depraved. This is... This is not something that we cherry-pick from one or two verses. 
This is pervasive throughout the Bible. That humanity has turned from God. And that our hearts are black. As the Apostle Paul says, our hearts are evil. That's that's hard to digest. That's hard to understand. Because sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And it's really difficult when you hear the Apostle Paul says, no, your heart is wicked. And so our theological tradition tells us that our systematic breakdown affects everything. It affects our hearts, it affects our minds, it affects our souls, it affects our bodies, that sin affects all of creation, that we are in a bad state. This is the message one of the grand themes of Scripture, the sinfulness of man and our need of redemption. So let me share with you some verses in case, in case this may seem a little bit forward, in case this may seem hard to grasp. Romans chapter 3, verses 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Moses writes in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil and continually. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, this is a bit lengthy, but it's important. Hear this. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the Scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They do not know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Hear that again. They have no fear of God at all. Hard hearts. Mark is pointing us to Jesus through the accusations that the Pharisees make. And he's wanting us to see that Jesus is the answer, He's the solution to our hard hearts. That we need Him. That we need to go to the cross and we need to make our home there. That we need to reside in Christ because He is the only hope for these black, wicked hearts. He is the one who cures us. He is the one who comes to us and He gives us a new heart. Hear the beauty of the Gospel. Hear this. God loved you so much that He sends His Son for you and He gives His heart up for your salvation, and then the Holy Spirit comes and He performs surgery on you and the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, 
we receive the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. So if you think about it, the bloody and gory and terrible and difficult and awful mess that is the cross, all of that leads to a pristine, clean, perfect, righteous heart of Christ. This new heart that He gives us makes us acceptable to the Father now and forever. It means you belong. It means you matter. It means that you are loved. Think about that. The new heart that God gives you because He loves you and He loved you before the foundation of the world means that right now, at this moment, despite your failures, despite your sin, that you are accepted, that you belong, and you are loved. What an encouragement that is to us as believers who gather together in the presence of Jesus. These new hearts beat within us. Let me tell you, I need that encouragement every single Lord's Day. I need to be reminded every single day through the good news of the gospel that this heart has been made new. It is no longer hard like the Pharisees who couldn't see. What joy. What absolute joy that we have in our Savior. Secondly, a content heart. We talk about a clean heart, but now I want us to talk about a content heart. Several years ago, Vicky and I had the privilege to travel to London, England, and it was, it was fantastic. We loved being there and taking in all the sights. It's a great city. And one day we found ourselves in Piccadilly Circus. If you have never been to Piccadilly Circus, it's similar in some fashion to Times Square in New York City. Cars everywhere, people moving really fast, flashing neon signs, blinking billboards, horns blaring, music blaring. It is an intense place of sound and motion. Now one of the things that you may not know about me is that I have suffered most of my life from migraines. And don't have a really full understanding of what causes them. Sometimes they will come at the most unexpected times. And so I'm in Piccadilly Circus, and here it comes. And it was awful. And the reason I know it was awful, because I still remember it to this day. So that means it's, it's up there in the top five. And the sound and the lights and the motion was too much. The pain was too much. And Vicky knew that I, ha I had to get out of there. And so I held her arm and I closed my eyes so I didn't have to see all of the motion and the lights any longer. And we made our way to the taxi. She gave me my prescription. We get back to the room. It's early evening. I fall asleep and I sleep through the night and through the morning, and I wake up about lunchtime. And when I was waking up, you know how that that's experience, that feeling that you don't know where you are, you don't know what's going on, 
And I remembered thinking that I was about to open my eyes to the cars circling around me, the horns, the music, the lights, the just everything that is Piccadilly Circus. And then I open my eyes and I'm in a quiet room and the lights are off and there's no sound, there's no motion, there's no movement. And I get up and I realize that I don't feel like I have a knife sticking in my brain any longer. And I open up the shutters and I look outside it's a beautiful day and I look across the street at the park and I see the birds flying around and the light doesn't hurt me. And I stand there and I take a deep breath. And I cannot describe to you the peace at that moment that I felt in contradiction to the pain I felt the night before. Peace. Quiet, calming steady peace. It was unbelievable. And so we talked about the fact that Jesus has come to establish the kingdom. And as kingdom citizens, we, we have one foot in that kingdom. Mark is telling us that because we belong to Jesus, we take part in the coming of the kingdom of God. So that is where one foot is planted. But we also have another foot planted in this world. And this world is full of sin. This world is full of problems and anxiety and grief and stress and anguish and difficulties. So we have one foot in the kingdom and we have one foot in this world. And so, it's like being in Piccadilly Circus. Everything is surrounding us. And it's too much. It's too hard. It's painful. And so what do we do? How do we find peace? How do we have a content heart? And so in our text this morning particularly in verses 7 through 12, but also in verses 1 through 6, we get a glimpse of Jesus who knows what it means to live in this world. Jesus is, he enters into the synagogue and he heals the man with the withered hand. And what do the Pharisees do? They go and they meet with the Herodians. These are their enemies. They go and meet with their enemies, the Herodians, who are political sympathizers with the Roman government, in order to destroy Jesus. So Jesus is there being kind and being merciful and being generous, and He heals this man, and the people who are around Him want to kill Him. I don't know about you. I have never had anyone actively pursuing me in order to destroy me. I've never had that happen. But there is Jesus in the synagogue and they want Him to die. And then in verses 7 through 12, the crowds want Jesus. They want to know more. They want 
Him to heal their many diseases. They are pressing in on Him. If you read the Gospels, you see Jesus always being pursued by people because they need Him and they want Him to do things. And so sometimes we forget that Jesus was a person like us, that He took on flesh and He dwelt among us, and that He, he walked the streets that Jesus experienced all these difficult and challenging things. That Jesus experienced anguish and grief, heartache, rejection, betrayal, sorrow. That He was made fun of, that they mocked Him. All of this happened to Jesus. He had one foot in this world too. And He understands. But He's also the Prince of Peace. The Gospel tells us that He is the great physician. He has written a prescription to cure our souls. The great physician brings us peace. That is one of the blessings of being a part of the kingdom. That Jesus says that He will give us peace. Hear Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 Come to Me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Let Me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is life. Excuse Me, is light. So Jesus gives us peace as the Prince of Peace. Jesus is saying, I've been in your world. I've, I, I know. I understand. I've experienced it. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. You will wake up in the morning and there will be quiet. You will wake up in the morning and you will look out the window and you will see the beauty of my creation and your eyes will no longer hurt and your mind will no longer hurt and your body will no longer struggle. I will give you peace eternally, but I will give you peace in the here and the now. And so how does he do that? How does he give us peace? Well, first of all, we've already talked about it. He gives us a clean heart. And that clean heart is a help to us now and forever. How does Jesus give us peace? He speaks to us through His Word. Jesus hears our prayers. Know that He is praying over us even now, even at this moment. Jesus joins us in worship. That's one of the ways that He brings us peace. And then He sends the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I mean, think about that. Jesus is telling His disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit as our helper and our advocate. The Greek word is parakletos. It means one who is by your side. Hear that. One who is by your side. Look, we, we come to this place this morning and we come as people with issues and problems and struggles. 
That's part of living in Piccadilly Circus. Our marriages, our jobs, our children, our grandchildren, our finances. This world is circling around us and it's challenging and it's difficult. It is problematic and I don't have the answer, but Jesus does. And He says, my spirit has come and it's right beside you. Trinity, let that be a great a great hope for your heart this morning that whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever your fears are, whatever your anxieties might be, that your God is by your side. He gives you peace. And He's given you a clean heart. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that your word is true and that it is beautiful and that it will last forever. We thank you that in your word you remind us of our right standing with you, that you give us a clean heart and that you have sent your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to stand beside us and to bring us comfort, comfort that we need in a day that is challenging and difficult. Lord, we give our hearts to you and we thank you that you have cleaned them and that they are no longer hard like the Pharisees. It's in your son's name and for his sake that we pray. Amen.